0: Hey, this is Annie and Samantha, and welcome to Stuff i Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today we are so happy to be joined by my good friend and great supporter. <laughs> Thank you so yes. much for being with us, Marissa. Before we get started, listeners, we did want to add in a quick trigger warning for this episode because we are going to be talking about COVID-19 and what is happening inside hospitals and emergency rooms. And we're not going to get too graphic in anything, but totally understand if that is triggering right now. So
1: can you um, introduce yourself to the listeners? So hi, I'm Marissa. I am an ER nurse. I'm a travel nurse. I have been a nurse for eight and a half years. I have traveled to seven different states, and I am currently working in an ER in Connecticut.
0: Yes, and Marissa and I, we have been friends since seventh grade. Yep, yep. Yep. Uh, (laughs) We met over a Harry Potter folder that I was very impressed with. And so I came up and I was like, we're going to be friends.
1: (laughs) True story. My entire sixth grade year, I hadn't actually like talked to anybody. I had just moved to the county in sixth grade and seventh grade was a pivotal year. If you talk to our fab five of friends, everybody has a story of Annie being our common link. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and usually Harry Potter was somehow involved.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so the reason we wanted to bring you on here is because you are a nurse. And right now, with our, our quarantine and this whole COVID-19 thing, we thought it would be cool to have a conversation with you about the types of things that uh, you are seeing. But maybe before we get into that, um, can you talk about when did you know that you wanted to be a nurse?
1: Annie, I might actually have you like help me remember what this class was called back in middle school. But there was um, like a career class, Mm -hmm. career opportunities or something like that. And I remember like looking through this like occupational handbook and projections you know, for the next 20 years and just like flipping through this book and like looking at nursing and healthcare. And I kind of had always been drawn to like medical healthcare profession. And then I knew at actually 13 years old, I wanted to be a travel nurse. And so that was always the goal. It took me a long time to feel confident enough In my skills to travel, I started off, I did one year in med surge, and then I transferred to the ER and then I had been in the ER for an additional like four years before I started traveling. So I had five years under my belt before I started traveling for the last four years. But I always wanted to know, I've always been like a nurturer. I am the oldest of three children and I'm also the oldest of like all of the cousins on my mother's side. So I've kind of always fallen into that nurturing caregiver role. It comes very natural to me to be a nurse.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I, hearing your stories, I, I hear that nurturing side a lot, but I also hear this very strong, like, take charge. This is what needs to be done. And kind, kind of seeing that aspect of it as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Definitely have, some of it has come, like the more you're put into that role, for sure, with nursing to just like, you got to step up and get the job done. But yeah, I, you know, in the ER, you definitely have to be able to be calm in a midst of chaos. And that calmness also has come natural to me. The reason why I like the ER though, specifically within nursing, is there is a big team work approach within the ER. You've got like all the services that are collaborating together. You've got the relationship between the nurses and the doctors is very collaborative. You've got RT, you've got radiology, everybody's there. So I've always really liked ER and the teamwork that happens there. And you kind of have to be able to be a good communicator in those roles.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. So you you and I have been, we're doing our virtual hangouts, our virtual happy hours. Yes. (laughs) And we've been talking kind of about what you've seen during this pandemic. Can you go into that a little bit?
1: I... I'm not going to be graphic, but yeah, the last time we had talked, um, it was about a week ago, and it still, I will consider it a very hellacious shift. With COVID-19, what you're seeing as far as symptoms a lot of people are, and I'm sure some of this may be already knowledgeable to you guys, is that you're seeing a lot of shortness of breath. And then like a cough, hypoxemia, which is just a low oxygen level, fever, sometimes chills, just generally feeling weak. But there's just a lot, I think, happened that particular shift where I had just previously read three days prior from one of the New York doctors was like, this is what we know so far. And they had posted something and it had been shared by a lot of people within like the medical community. And he had talked about how he was seeing these oxygen saturations with the hypoxemia of people averaging 70%. And it wasn't necessarily a time to call the ICU if you saw those percentages and that these people would be talking to you with like really low oxygen levels. And I hadn't at the time, like we'd seen low oxygen levels for sure, but it it was wild to walk in that particular night and having people like so many people that were low oxygen level. And I mean, we will do what people want to be done for them as far as supportive care with oxygen. But for the first time you're seeing people like really having to ask how much intervention, medical intervention, do you want with your care? Do you want to be resuscitated? Do you want to be intubated? Do you want comfort measures only? And that was one of those nights that There was a big shift as far as from going to from somewhat of an ER mode to almost a hospice mode, which I do have some experience in as well.
2: I think one of the questions that we were seeing is like, what from your perspective do you see that is happening that might be different from the media sharing or that might be under exaggerated, over exaggerated? Can you kind of talk about that as a personal eyewitnessing in the ER? Is it overwhelmed because people are paranoid? Like what? Or is it underwhelmed that people aren't getting what they need?
1: So at first, the, in the first couple of weeks, it was, it was dead. Like, I would say for like a week and a half, almost, yeah, a week and a half, when everybody kind of started going into, like, you know, stay at home and lockdown mode, it was completely dead other than truly emergencies. People were scared to come in, as they should be, because when you come into the ER, you could be possibly exposed because... Every ER in the country has COVID-19 patients that they're seeing, they're admitting, definitely. But there was a good week and a half where we really like all of a sudden saw a huge trend down from the other like miscellaneous, like people that we usually have some flow of were gone. And so... It was it was odd to be like, okay, so this is what the emergency looked like, should look like if the emergency room was just used for emergency purposes. So we saw a lot of minor care stuff go completely away. So that was different. It did pick up. I think one of the great things that I saw this particular hospital do is that they really streamlined their flow for getting people admitted better and they started making room and really thinking outside the box on how the ER wouldn't get congested. So I don't know if that made things easier, but as far as just like what I've seen so far, we did have a period of time where like there was nothing.
2: So uh, just out of curiosity, you are a travel nurse. Did you already explain kind of what that is for the audience so that they understand when we are asking you questions that specific to that level of nursing?
1: Okay. So travel nursing, what that is, is I go to hospitals that need staffing help, which is anywhere in the, in the United States, in the country. And there, prior to even COVID-19, there was a nursing shortage. So I do have a compact nursing license. Um, it's good in 34 states. Um, then you can also apply if you have a nursing license, like which my home state where I, you know, originally am graduated from like a Georgia nursing school. Then you can say, I, you know, I took my nursing license in the state of Georgia Um, And you can do license by endorsement to get those states that are not part of the compact. Georgia is part of the compact. So whatever state you're in for your original nursing license, that has to be part of the compact. That state has to be part of the compact. So say, like, California is not part of the compact. Um, So any nurse that was originally got their nursing license in California... They would have to individually like apply. Okay. Gotcha. To get a nursing license in a different state.
2: Right. And you've been to several states.
1: Yeah. So I have been to seven different states. Um, I've worked in the state of Georgia. Then from Georgia, I went to Massachusetts, from Massachusetts, California to LA. And then I did Alaska, Colorado, did several more in California, then came back to Maine and then Connecticut.
2: So seven. And so I was wondering, with the fact that you are a travel nurse, has there been an influx of nurses being pulled out of different states to other states to help in this emergency situation? Or is it that every state is in an emergency situation, so where you are is where you are?
1: Every state's in an emergency situation right now. Every nurse also can make that decision if they want to choose to hop to a different state contract, because it's my medical world, I don't know how much of this is public knowledge to you guys, because, you know, it's the world I live in. But they like have kind of dropped a lot of the rules with the like the nursing compact for certain states or having to have a particular license. I'm actually just about to finish my contract here in Connecticut. This is my last week on this contract. Oh. And then my next contract starts next week. Um, and I'll be going to mass oh, uh, Massachusetts. When I was making that decision, Massachusetts is not part of the compact. I had to apply to get a license. Two days later, Massachusetts like says, if you have a license in any state Will take wow. you. You don't have to pay the one hundred and seventy dollar fee to get our wow. license. It's it's neat seeing states completely like, oh, this nominal fee. We no longer are requiring it. Like if you have a license, come right. on down.
0: We have some more for you listeners, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Thank you, sponsor.
2: So can you tell us, as a person who is in the hospital, in the front lines, as you are called, and, and being held a hero, which is really problematic in my mind and in, in describing these things as a war speak, because when you do that, not only are you saying these people are willing to sacrifice themselves, which is not necessarily the case. Willing to help yeah. people is one thing, but saying that you're on the front line in a war that could kill you is a whole different world and a whole different yeah. conversation, especially not being compensated as such either or being almost not recognized as such. And what are your, I guess, your feelings? How are you feeling with the fact that you are on the front line? You are in an area that is highly contagious and likely that you are being exposed to people who are infected with COVID.
1: I love how you, how, how you phrase that question because the whole thought around you're a hero, I feel like does almost pressure you to have that feeling of that nurses and doctors should be martyrs, but we're not in any way. PPE is a huge issue for sure. And the fact that, you know, everywhere is in a crisis with PPE and getting the correct PPE and in a reuse indefinite position is giving that feel of like, you know, you're having to make this choice on, you know, if you're going to care for this patient and put your life potentially on the line being exposed to a virus. I mean, there was this post the other day by another traveler. Her name's E.M. Chang. She, I think, phrased it probably the best in this post. And it really spoke to me I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember it exactly, but she started it off with personal protective gear. Would you send a firefighter into a fire without personal protective gear? Would you send a police officer into a shooting without personal protective gear? Then why Would you expect healthcare workers to go in to our own shooting and deal with a pandemic without personal protective care? Which I don't know if PPE was something that you guys knew the acronym for a month ago.
2: No, I I absolutely didn't. Yeah. Like that's become such a trend. I knew what it was, but yeah, I didn't know... And then you did you use the phrase uh,
1: reuse. Oh, right now there is PPE, but it's a reuse situation. Right. You you're given a little brown bag, a paper brown bag that you are kind of reusing indefinitely um in '95s and surgical masks. And you know, if it's gets absolutely soiled, saturated. And the integrity is to the point that it needs to be thrown away. That is your decision individually on if you want to throw it away. No guarantee on if you will get a replacement. Wow.
0: So that's frightening, frightening stuff. And uh, one thing I did want to ask you is, uh, how are you taking care of yourself during all of this?
1: Oh my gosh, I'm listening to you guys. I'm <laughs> such a podcast lover. Yeah, no. You guys are doing some great things. I'm watching all the stuff you guys are doing. The doing the like little dancing. I haven't listened to the yoga one. I you guys are speaking my love language. I don't know whose idea it was to pitch the um the music, the playlist, but I loved when you guys had posted oh, let's do like a calm playlist. Let's do like a get up and dance playlist. Um, I I <laughs> yeah. loved that. I absolutely loved that. Um, I felt like that was so, so, so cute. And then I liked listening to the playlist. Um, the calm one, I know you posted. I didn't, I don't know if you posted. Not yet, it's coming. Dance. Okay. <laughs> Thank
2: you for reminding me. It's there. I definitely have it already. I had to get Annie to send me a list. Yeah. Last time she sent me a list of 30 songs.
0: and i was like okay samantha's like only said five and i'm like well here's the (laughs) i was like son of a (laughs) Uh,
1: there's there's a lot happening though like on social media that is innovative that i have loved the other day i said this to annie there's this guy that he does um emo's not dead and he did a (laughs) Yes. yes. DJ. And set. I got in there on accident and he called out my name. I was like, oh my God.
2: <laughs> of course he did. Of course he did. Uh, but with that, Marissa, what would you say is something that you wish us as the people who do not know what's going on really? We we can get little reports here and there. We get little snippets of truths about what is really happening in the hospitals, what is happening in care and medical fields, what are some things that you wish we knew and more people would know and more people would consider?
1: I I really think that social distancing is really doing a world of good for us. I mean, as far as, I I think we are flattening the curve. Uh, I mean, the only thing that I would say is, as far as like the hospital-wise goes, really truly be using the ER when your symptoms are unmanageable at home. If you're sick, you need to quarantine. You need to not go out in public. You need to treat yourself as you're sick and consider yourself positive.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: I think there's a lot of people that they start having just a little bit of, of symptoms and they they come immediately with very mild symptoms and they're they're not thinking that start to treat the symptoms at home and come to us when it's unmanageable. And anybody that's coming into the hospital, I think a really good advice for them would it be make sure that you know where you stand with what you want for your care, because we're gonna ask you the tough questions, especially if you meet our admission criteria, you need to know where you stand on if you want to be intubated, and if you get to that point, and if your heart were to stop working, if you would wanna be resuscitated. Um, So you really need to start having those conversations and thinking about them now rather than being called or your family member being called because you can no longer make that decision. And knowing what you want, make sure you're sharing that with others that would be potentially called as an emergency contact. It's good
0: to know. Yeah, and I think there's just so much like fear and confusion and since can't get tested. And we don't know. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, have you as a staff when the hospital, because
2: obviously there's a conversation that's been going around that there's no real numbers on how many hospital staff or people who are in the emergency room medical field, including those who may just be there for social work care or being social workers or people who are maintenance or office clerks or whatever. Are they able to get testing? Because there's no numbers about wh- how it has affected the people on quote unquote the front line, and I'm just asking for your perspective, Marissa, like at the hospital, your hospital, I guess.
1: So anybody that's getting admitted to the hospital gets tested, especially if they're showing fever and respiratory symptoms. Um, also, if you were a healthcare worker and you were symptomatic, not necessarily needing admission, they will test. And then anybody that's in some kind of communal um, living situation, whether it be a nursing home, a group home, or a homeless shelter-like living situation, um, these are people that are healthcare workers and those that are living in a communal living-like situation could potentially expose several others. Um, So it is being allowed. There is a delay in testing. Right now for us, it's, Um, about 72 hours for the test to come back. I know I was talking to one of my nurse practitioner friends yesterday who is working in Georgia, and she was saying it was more like five to seven days in Georgia from what she knew, which by then you may be done with the virus.
2: (laughs) Which is what's been happening a lot. People thought they had it. They found out later they did have it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I do know a doctor... Um, And a nurse that I was talking to the other night that they had gone through the virus. I don't think either of them actually went and got a test, though. They just, they had all the symptoms. They had the fever. They had the shortness of breath. They just quarantined and dealt with at home. I know the doc was telling me he had a little pulse oximeter and he's checking what his oxygen level is versus like, you know, where your mind goes in anxiety. Right. You know?
0: -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We have a little bit more for you listeners, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. But if you, like, as a nurse, say you were exposed, then what happens? Do they just tell you to go home or do you keep
1: working? Okay. Um, They do temperature checks when we're coming into the hospital. Anybody coming into the hospital, hospital worker, visitor, patient, everybody is screened with a temperature check. So... There have been people that work in the hospital that just with that screening have been found to have a fever and are sent home immediately. And they do not work. If you're coming in for your shift and you have a fever, you're not going to be working that day. But yeah, we're supposed to alert them, you know, if we start getting symptomatic or especially start running a fever. Um, It's a little different for me because. I am a contract worker, um, so not only do I have to like notify the hospital, but then I also have to notify my agency. Mm-hmm. My agency is the one that pays me, and they have an agreement that they will be paying anybody that has to quarantine for two weeks. So I have that reassurance. That's good. That's
2: good. That's, rare. Yeah. that's But yeah.
1: you guys deserve it, too, because <laughs> hello. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Occupational health has called me and told me, like, when somebody I've treated has been positive. But they started to do that. And then she did tell me that pretty much if I, you know, was symptomatic to let them know. The way the COVIDs are kind of being monitored as far as positives and who's been exposed... Um, You actually, like starting out ER, have symptoms. You get like droplet precautions, uh, contact precautions taped to your door, and then you have a sign-in sheet taped in. Everybody that's going in and out has to, like they have to write, you know, time in, time out, name, phone number. What's your employee number? And that's how they're tracking the contact time for these patients is you're signing in and out. Hmm.
0: So do you have any, any advice to someone who might be like training to be a nurse or is a new nurse and has sort of been thrown into this whole thing? Or maybe just uh, people who are, who are feeling burnt out or stressed during this <laughs> very stressful time?
1: For sure, like first off, like you need to mute all the negative people in your life. You know, you you have to take every piece of advice and with a grain of salt, especially within nursing, for sure. And just keep on keeping on. Try not to get completely like bogged down in the overwhelming stress of it all. Take those moments to breathe. I. Can't imagine being a new grad nurse in this. I, the last couple of weeks, I've been used more as a resource nurse and kind of been like a, a float nurse and pretty much hopping here and there. And the other day, I was helping somebody start blood for the first time and showing her how to set it up. Wow. And I just like, I, it was, I was like, this is the first time she's ever done this before. There's, So many people that are like pulling me into situations because they've got, you know, a handful, a good handful of new grad nurses in the ER and they're really like great troopers. They're doing fantastic. No fear in a way. I'm so impressed by these new grads that are coming in and just running right there with us that have been doing it for a while.
2: You know, as you were saying that, I didn't even think about the fact that, yes, you're bringing in new people, more people to help, but you're taking away the experienced people to train these people. So it's not necessarily as helpful as you think because the people who could be out there who have that experience already doing it is having to be pulled aside to attend and make sure things are being correctly done or completed. So that's a whole different level of, is this as helpful as you think it is? That was never actually across my mind as much as, oh, they're inexperienced. How are they going to do this?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, the, the real concern right now is like ICU being so overwhelmed. And I don't know if you've heard about this, but they are talking about potentially doing like team nursing where they need more ICU nurses and like quickly training people that are med surge telemetry nurses and having like an ICU nurse, potentially team nurse and oversee med surge nurses. They haven't started it. You know, here it's just a potential, like thinking process and triaging process on how can we have more nurses in the ICU for these ventilated patients.
2: Mm. Yeah. Um. Just, I just want to say because when we were talking about uh, Andy and I were talking about some of the experiences. Uh, you've been having. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about it, and for what you're doing as well. I hate that you're not being given the proper equipment to do the job efficiently, as well as honestly, the correct information is being sent out so y'all are not harassed <laughs> inappropriately and or um, being disrespected in any way. But yeah, thank you so much for everything you're doing and good. So you're going to Massachusetts next I'm week. Welcome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Massachusetts is my next contract. Yeah. Next week. And oh, I will have to say a shout out to anybody that is actually housing a travel nurse right oh. now. We really appreciate you because that is actually a, a scary thing for somebody potentially housing a travel nurse and knowing that they are probably going to be exposed um, whether and if you're allowing them into your home. It's something that, you know, I thank God found a woman in mass that would rent a room to me and we've talked about our procedure on how we're going to handle things um, as far as keeping things clean and I will be changing my scrubs before I come into her home and she's going to be wearing a mask while I am there if I'm up. Um, we've got a whole procedure that we've worked out, but anybody that's housing like a travel nurse right now, thank you so much for housing us. We really do appreciate right. it so wow. much because shelter is the basis for our Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> it is true.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. All the respects um, to you and what you're doing and um to everybody in the healthcare field and everybody making this world like potentially exposing themselves so that we can continue to live. So yeah, really thank you. Uh,
1: You guys are like my friends while I'm away from home, when I'm on a travel assignment, just to hear a friendly voice. I I feel like you know, I, I'm home in a way and I'm right there with you. And even, even, even though me and Annie have our history, Samantha, you have the most soulful, soothing voice. And I look forward so much to hearing your perspective. Oh, thank you. As a social worker, I'm like, I know what she's seen. ER, we deal with a lot of social right. issues and I really love to hear your perspective on everything because
2: it adds such oh, a depth. Thank you. That makes me feel good. Everything that I was going to say, but we're friends too. Yeah. We've definitely hung out. We're, we're definitely, we're definitely oh, there. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This feels like a big warm <laughs> hug from, from afar.
1: <laughs> <Aww>.
0: <laughs> a self-distancing virtual hug. Hugs. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much um, for joining us, Marissa. And I'm sure... We'll be checking in and uh, making sure you're okay. Um, and yeah, if, if any listeners would like to email us, you can. Uh, our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You or on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thanks, Andrew. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.